Pope John Paul II, The Gospel of Life, Chapter 4, Part 3. Walk as children of light, bringing about a transformation of culture. Walk as children of light and try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness. In our present social context, marked by a dramatic struggle between the culture of life and the culture of death, there is need to develop a deep critical sense, capable of discerning true values and authentic needs. What is urgently called for is a general mobilization of consciences and a united ethical effort to activate a great campaign in support of life. Altogether, we must build a new culture of life, new because it will be able to confront and solve today's unprecedented problems affecting human life, new because it will be adopted with deeper and more dynamic conviction by all Christians, new because it will be capable of bringing about a serious and courageous cultural dialogue among all parties. While the urgent need for such a cultural transformation is linked to the present historical situation, it is also rooted in the church's mission of evangelization. The purpose of the gospel, in fact, is to transform humanity from within and to make it new. Like the yeast which leavens the whole measure of dough, the gospel is meant to permeate all cultures and give them life from within, so that they may express the full truth about the human person and about human life. We need to begin with the renewal of a culture of life within Christian communities themselves. Too often it happens that believers, even those who take part, who take an active part in the life of the church, end up separating their Christian faith from its ethical requirements concerning life, and thus fall into moral subjectivism and certain objectionable ways of acting. With great openness and courage, we need to question how widespread is the culture of life today among individual Christians families, groups, and communities in our dioceses. With equal clarity and determination, we must identify the steps we are called to take in order to serve life in all its truth. At the same time, we need to promote a serious and in-depth exchange about basic issues of human life with everyone, including non-believers, in intellectual circles, in the various professional spheres, and at the level of people's everyday life. The first and fundamental step towards this cultural transformation consists in forming consciences with regard to the incomparable and inviolable worth of every human life. It is of the greatest importance to reestablish the essential connection between life and freedom. These are inseparable goods. Where one is violated, the other also ends up being violated. There is no true freedom where life is not welcomed and loved. And there is no fullness of life except in freedom. Both realities have something inherent and specific, which links them inextricably. The vocation to love. Love as a sincere gift of self is what gives the life and freedom of the person their truest meaning. No less critical in the formation of conscience is the recovery of the necessary link between freedom and truth. As I have frequently stated, when freedom is detached from objective truth, it becomes impossible to establish personal rights on a firm, rational basis, and the ground is laid for society to be at the mercy of the unrestrained will of individuals or the oppressive totalitarianism of public authority. 
It is therefore essential that man should acknowledge his inherent condition as a creature to whom God has granted being and life as a gift and a duty. Only by admitting his innate dependence can man live and use his freedom to the full, and at the same time respect the life and freedom of every other person. Here especially one sees that at the heart of every culture lies the attitude man takes to the greatest mystery, the mystery of God. Where God is denied and people live as though he did not exist or his commandments are not taken into account, the dignity of the human person and the inviolability of human life also end up being rejected or compromised. Closely connected with the formation of conscience is the work of education, which helps individuals to be ever more human, leads them ever more fully to the truth, instills in them growing respect for life, and trains them in right interpersonal relationships. In particular, there is a need for education about the value of life from its very origins. It is an illusion to think we can build a true culture of human life if we do not help the young to accept and experience sexuality and love and the whole of life according to their true meaning and in their close interconnection. Sexuality, which enriches the whole person, manifests its inmost meaning in leading the person to the gift of self in love. The trivialization of sexuality is among the principal factors which have led to contempt for new life. Only a true love is able to protect life. There can be no avoiding the duty to offer, especially to adolescents and young adults, an authentic education in sexuality and in love. An education which involves training and chastity as a virtue which fosters personal maturity and makes one capable of respecting the spousal meaning of the body. The work of educating in the service of life involves the training of married couples in responsible procreation. In its true meaning, responsible procreation requires couples to be obedient to the Lord's call and to act as faithful interpreters of his plan. This happens when the family is generously open to new lives and when couples maintain an attitude of openness and service to life, even if for serious reasons and in respect for the moral law, they choose to avoid a new birth for the time being or indefinitely. The moral law obliges them, in every case, to control the impulse of instinct and passion, and to respect the biological laws inscribed in their person. It is precisely this respect which makes legitimate, at the service of responsible procreation, the use of natural methods of regulating fertility. From the scientific point of view, these methods are becoming more and more accurate, and make it possible in practice to make choices in harmony with moral values. An honest appraisal of their effectiveness should dispel certain prejudices which are still widely held and should convince married couples, as well as healthcare and social workers, of the importance of proper training in this area. The church is grateful to those who, with personal sacrifice and often unacknowledged dedication, devote themselves to the study and spread of these methods, as well as to the promotion of education and the moral values which they presuppose. The work of education cannot avoid a consideration of suffering and death. These are a part of human existence, and it is futile, not to say misleading, to try to hide them or ignore them. On the contrary, people must be helped to understand their profound mystery in all its harsh reality. Even pain and suffering have meaning and value when they are experienced in close connection with love received and given. In this regard, I have called for the yearly celebration of the World Day of the Sick, emphasizing the salvific nature of the offering up of suffering, which, experienced in communion with Christ, belongs to the very essence of the redemption. Death itself is anything but an event without hope. It is the door which opens wide on eternity, 
and for those who live in Christ and experience a participation in the mystery of his death and resurrection. In a word, we can say that the cultural change which we are calling for demands from everyone the courage to adopt a new lifestyle, consisting in making practical choices at the personal, family, social, and international level on the basis of a correct scale of values, the primacy of being over having, of the person over things. This renewed lifestyle involves a passing from indifference to concern for others, from rejection to acceptance of them. Other people are not rivals from whom we must defend ourselves, but brothers and sisters to be supported. They are to be loved for their own sakes, and they enrich us by their very presence. In this mobilization for a new culture of life, no one must feel excluded. Everyone has an important role to play. Together with the family, teachers and educators have a particularly valuable contribution to make. Much will depend on them if young people trained in true freedom are to be able to preserve for themselves and make known to others new authentic ideals of life, and if they are to grow in respect for and service to every other person in the family and in society. Intellectuals can also do much to build a new culture of human life. A special task falls to Catholic intellectuals who are called to be present and active in the leading centers where culture is formed, in schools and universities, in places of scientific and technological research, of artistic creativity, and of the study of man. Allowing their talents and activity to be nourished by the living force of the gospel, they ought to place themselves at the service of a new culture of life by offering serious and well-documented contributions, capable of commanding general respect and interest by reason of their merit. It was precisely for this purpose that I established the Pontifical Academy for Life, assigning it the task of studying and providing information and training about the principal problems of law and biomedicine pertaining to the promotion of life, especially in the direct relationship they have with Christian morality and the directors of the church's magisterium. A specific contribution will also have to come from universities, particularly from Catholic universities, and from centers, institutes, and committees of bioethics. An important and serious responsibility belongs to those involved in the mass media who are called to ensure that the messages which they so effectively transmit will support the culture of life. They need to present noble models of life and make room for instances of people's positive and sometimes heroic love for others. With great respect, they should also present the positive values of sexuality and human love and not insist on what defiles and cheapens human dignity. In their interpretation of things, they should refrain from emphasizing anything that suggests or fosters feelings or attitudes of indifference, contempt, or rejection in relation to life. With scrupulous concern for factual truth, they are called to combine freedom of information with respect for every person and a profound sense of humanity. In transforming culture so that it supports life, women occupy a place in thought and action which is unique and decisive. It depends on them to promote a new feminism, which rejects the temptation of imitating models of male domination in order to acknowledge and affirm the true genius of women in every aspect of the life and society, the life of society, and overcome all discrimination, violence, and exploitation. Making my own the words of the concluding message of the Second Vatican Council, I address to women this urgent appeal. Reconcile people with life. You are called to bear witness to the meaning of genuine love of that gift of self and of that acceptance of others, which are present in a special way in the relationship of husband and wife, but which ought also to be at the heart of every other interpersonal relationship. The experience of motherhood makes you acutely aware of the other person 
and at the same time confers on you a particular task. Motherhood involves a special communion with the mystery of life as it develops in the woman's womb. This unique contact with the new human being developing within her gives rise to an attitude towards human beings, not only toward her own child, but every human being, which profoundly marks the woman's personality. A mother welcomes and carries in herself another human being, enabling it to grow inside her, giving it room, respecting it in its otherness. Women first learn and then teach others that human relations are authentic if they are open to accepting the other person, a person who is recognized and loved because of the dignity which comes from being a person and not from other considerations, such as usefulness, strength, intelligence, beauty, or health. This is the fundamental contribution which the church and humanity expect from women, and it is the indispensable prerequisite for an authentic cultural change. I would now like to say a special word to women who have had an abortion. The church is aware of the many factors which may have influenced your decision, and she does not doubt that in many cases it was a painful and even shattering decision. The wound in your heart may not yet have healed. Certainly, what happened was and remains terribly wrong. But do not give in to discouragement and do not lose hope. Try rather to understand what happened and face it honestly. If you have not already done so, give yourselves over with humility and trust to repentance. The Father of mercies is ready to give you his forgiveness and his peace in the sacrament of reconciliation. To the same Father and his mercy, you can with sure hope and trust your child. With the friendly and expert help and advice of other people, and as a result of your own painful experience, you can be among the most eloquent defenders of everyone's right to life. Through your commitment to life, whether by accepting the birth of other children or by welcoming and caring for those most in need of someone to be close to them, you will become promoters of a new way of looking at human life. In this great endeavor to create a new culture of life, we are inspired and sustained by the confidence that comes from knowing that the gospel of life, like the king kingdom of God itself, is growing and producing abundant fruit. There is certainly an enormous disparity between the powerful resources available to the forces promoting the culture of death and the means at the disposal of those working for a culture of life and love. But we know that we can rely on the help of God, for whom nothing is impossible. Filled with this certainty and moved by profound concern for the destiny of every man and woman, I repeat what I said to those families who carry out their challenging mission amid so many difficulties. A great prayer for life is urgently needed, a prayer which will rise up throughout the world. Through special initiatives and in daily prayer, may an impassioned plea rise to God, the creator and lover of life, from every Christian community, from every group and association, from every family and from the heart of every believer. Jesus himself has shown us by his own example that prayer and fasting are the first and most effective weapons against the forces of evil. As he taught his disciples, some demons cannot be driven out except in this way. Let us therefore discover anew the humility and the courage to pray and fast so that power from on high will break down the walls of lies and deceit, the walls which conceal from the sight of so many of our brothers and sisters the evil of practices and laws which are hostile to life. May this same power turn their hearts to resolutions and goals inspired by the civilization of life and love. We are writing this that our joy may be complete. The gospel of life is for the whole of human society. We are writing you this, that our joy may be complete. The revelation of the gospel of life is given to us as a good to be shared with all people 
so that all men and women may have fellowship with us and with the Trinity. Our own joy would not be complete if we failed to share this gospel with others, but kept it only to ourselves. The gospel of life is not for believers alone. It is for everyone. The issue of life and its defense and promotion is not a concern of Christians alone. Although faith provides special light and strength, this question arises in every human conscience, which seeks the truth and which cares about the future of humanity. Life certainly has a sacred and religious value, but in no way is that value a concern only of believers. The value at stake is one which every human being can grasp by the light of reason. Thus, it necessarily concerns everyone. Consequently, all that we do as the people of life and for life should be interpreted correctly and welcomed with favor. When the church declares that unconditional respect for the right to life of every innocent person from, con from conception to natural death is one of the pillars on which every civil society stands, she wants simply to promote a human state, a state which recognizes the, the defense of the fundamental rights of the human person, especially of the weakest, as its primary duty. The gospel of life is for the whole of human society. It is to be actively pro-life is to contribute to the renewal of society through the promotion of the common good. It is impossible to further the common good without acknowledging and, and acknowledging and defending the right to life upon which all the other inalienable rights of individuals are founded and from which they develop. A society lacks solid foundations when on the one hand, it asserts values such as the dignity of the person, justice and peace, but then, on the other hand, radically acts to the contrary by allowing or tolerating a variety of ways in which human life is devalued and violated, especially where it is weak or marginalized. Only respect for life can be the foundation and guarantee of the most precious and essential goods of society, such as democracy and peace. There can be no true democracy without recognition of every person's dignity and without respect for his or her rights. Nor can there be true peace unless life is defended and promoted. As Paul VI pointed out, every crime against life is an attack on peace, especially if it strikes at the moral conduct of people. But where human rights are truly professed and publicly recognized and defended, peace becomes the joyful and operative climate of life in society. The people of life rejoices in being able to share its commitment with so many others. Thus may the people for life constantly grow in number, and may a new culture of love and solidarity develop for the true good of the whole of human society. Next time, the conclusion of the letter.